How should someone who's being built in the temple of God act? How should they behave morally, physically, practically? You walk into a room, oh you temple, what should you do? And to us, Peter gives the delightfully straightforward answer, do good. Do good. Welcome to the teaching ministry of Manahawkin Baptist Church. If someone asked you what Christianity was supposed to be like in everyday life, how would you answer them? Turn with us to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11-17 through 17 for a message entitled, Do Good. I am more excited about this passage than any other passage I've preached upon in 1 Peter. This passage transformed my entire understanding of what the entire book was trying to say. Like everyone else here, I want to love the Lord and honor him with my life. I want to do a good job being a Christian. Having grown up in the church where I want 10 steps to tell me how to do what's right, I want rules, I want someone just to make it make sense. Well, turns out, if we read the Bible, the Bible has answers for us. Turns out that's good news for us. So let's come to this passage with hope and faith this morning. It's an unbelievable privilege that we have the word of God before us to disabuse us of all these lies that we love to believe. On March 13th, I preached a sermon entitled, This is What God is Doing. The idea behind that sermon was to disabuse us of the the false idea that we have to get God to act on our behalf. It's just not true. God is already at work, and he has been at work since the foundation of the world to create what he wants to create. He's working in your life as well. You do not have to make God work in your life. Live your life, friend. As we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, is that God is building us up into a temple for him, he himself to indwell. How should someone who's being built in the temple of God act? How should they behave morally, physically, practically? You walk into a room, oh you temple, what should you do? And to us, Peter gives the delightfully straightforward answer, do good. Do good. Whatever you do, whatever room, in front of whoever, whatever's going on, do good there. Do eternal, God-sized good there. Do good. Any room that you walk into, in every place that you go, God has laid forth good steps for you to do. It's delightfully simple, absolutely straightforward, and it is the truth. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. I thank you that this is so much easier than anything I ever heard growing up. I had so many beautiful people who taught us the truth, the truth of the scriptures, and yet this is easy. And I thank you that the load that Jesus Christ placed on our back is easy. And when we follow him, we are given rest, rest for our souls. I ask, Lord, that you would whack down all the weeds that have come into our hearts that make us feel that we have to impress you and also take down the lies that make us feel like because Jesus Christ has done everything that we don't have to do anything. Somewhere in the middle, Lord, is our calling, and I ask that you would make this make sense to us. In your name, amen. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is going to be fun. Let's start with verses 16 through 17. The entire summation of this passage is in these two verses. And this verse, these verses actually act as sort of a hinge between two major blocks of thought. The first is that God is building this into a temple. And the second is what it means to live in honor of others, being subject to others. And so this passage hinges what's come before to what's about to come after. But it's summarized in verses 16 through 17. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What is it that God wants you to do? What is the ethic of Christianity? Well, it comes out of the reality of freedom. You and I live in a broken world. We do not live in the presence of the eternal God in absolute rapturous glory. We will one day, and everything will be put to right. But we live in this world right now, and he expects us to live as broken people, messy sinners walking around who have been saved. No, we're supposed to live now as if we're in the presence of God, as free people. Everyone around you that doesn't know Jesus Christ doesn't know it, maybe, but they are not free. They may have a will that they exercise however they want, but they are bound by sin. You are not, if you've put your faith in Christ, live as a free person. This is incredible to me because we're going to spend all the rest of eternity in freedom. What does he tell us to do now? Live in freedom. Live now what heaven will be like in freedom. Live as free people. You are not enslaved. You are not held down by sin. Your conscience has been cleared by Jesus Christ. Live as free people. Be free. Why? Because you are free. Live now what all of eternity will be like. And it's so cool because he says, live as people who are free. To people who are living in a world that's filled with people who are not free. What would it look like if this congregation just by itself, were to go throughout all of Southern Ocean County and live with absolute freedom, all the freedom of heaven expressed in your good deeds, it would shake Southern Ocean County to its core. Why? Because you live in a place that's not free, but you're free. You genuinely are. Live as people who are free in a world that is not free. And did you notice the apparent contradiction there in verse uh, 16? Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Wait a second, you. I thought you said we were free. Now you're saying I'm a servant of God. Chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, when we preached on that, I mentioned this thing called the manumission of slaves. The manumission of slaves is what would happen when a slave wanted to buy their freedom. So they take the money to buy their freedom and they would take it to the priests. 
And the priest would declare said person free. This person lived and walked and talked as a free person. They had absolute autonomy. But in the eyes of everyone in the, in the area, their freedom was thought to be bought by the gods. Now they were free in terms of the general population. They were now seen as not slaves of a man or a woman, but slaves of the gods. It was called the manumission of slaves. Peter's using that image here. You are free, O oh you slave of God. You have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. You and I came to Christ having nothing but debt and slavery. And Jesus Christ, on his own, ransomed us for himself. And all you had to do was believe. Believe. Reach out in faith and believe. That was it. And you and I were not given another yoke of bondage to slavery. You were set free. And you are seen as a servant of God. These things are actually not in competition. with. It's the same concept, just spoken a different way. You are a free servant of God. How do God's servants live? They live free. They do whatever they want. The rest of the world has to turn and go to bed at a certain time. You're free. The rest of the world lives under slavery to sin. You're free. You can walk through darkness and not fear the night. You're free. It's amazing. That's the world you live in but you are not part of it anymore. You are free. And he says to us that we're supposed to live like people who are free. So what does that look like? Well, let's look. 2, 11 through 15. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then he says, live as people who are free. There are three callings here, but they're pretty much all the same calling. Let me show you two. The first is abstain from fleshly lusts. The second one is to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And the third one is this Christian standing in front of court on trial. Why do we play around with sin? Why do we tamper with it as if it's just a good old time? It's because we're ignorant. We actually don't know what we're dealing with. Would you invite an an incoming army into your house for tea and crumpets? You would not. An army that's about to knock down you and your, your, your village would be someone that you would run from. But it says here, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. What happens when people try to stay around and make peace with an oncoming army whose sole intent is to kill? They die. The wages of sin is death, and it has always been death. Abstain from sin is the first action. That's the foundation. Personal holiness is something you and I are called to. God has not given you more than you can handle in the way of temptation. Each one of us is called to run from temptation like Joseph did. He didn't stand around and try to like defend his case. He got out of the room. Get out. An army is coming for you. It's called sin. It's called the sins that you like. Run. Abstain. Don't play around. 
If we see sin as something that we can handle, we're lying to ourselves. He doesn't say battle with sin. He says get away, abstain, get out, don't sin. The first call is to personal holiness. The second call is to holiness around your friends. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And that word Gentiles is actually probably better translated neighbors. Keep your conduct among your neighbors honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Good deeds. What are they going to see? The fact that you have done good. By yourself, you have maintained personal holiness by fleeing from evil and seeking to do good. And then someone comes against you and says, that person's an evildoer. What do they have to actually levy against you? Nothing. Because you've been doing good. Now let's say that person doesn't see the good and is really angry and they bring you before superior court. What happens then? Verse 15, it is the will of God that by doing good you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What does the magistrate have against you when they lay all all the evidence out on the table? What do they have to say? They have the same thing they had to say about Jesus. They had nothing to say about Jesus. They had nothing on the Son of God. They had only to lie about him. We are supposed to be willing and actively pursuing doing good with our own hearts so that if we even were brought before superior court by people who were lying about us, when they lay all the data out on the table, they couldn't see evil because you are someone who does good. That's the point here. Do good. Do good. Do good. So that when your neighbor looks at you and says, you are scum, they actually don't have anything against you because you've been doing good. This seems like it's overly simplistic, but it's true. You are free people. You and I are called as free people to do one thing and one thing alone everywhere you go, good. What does good look like? Love, it looks like joy, it looks like creating peace, it looks like patience, it looks kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You walk into a room of sinners and you do actual good, people are going to notice. I am free, so I live free, so I do good, because I serve God, no one else. You don't have anyone else as your master. You walk into a room, any room, any situation, ask the living God, God, show me how I can do good here now. It might be actually looking at the teller in the eye and saying, hi, how are you? And actually meaning it. It might be sitting across from your coworker and instead of being emblazoned with anger that they have such a foul mouth, instead of that saying, hey, how's your mom? I heard she was sick. Don't let the sin of others emblazon your holiness. The holiness is God's. You live free. Don't just walk around with a fence because everyone else is different than you. Be free. And when you see someone who's living in evil and they don't even know it, do good for that person. Do good wherever you are. The amazing thing about doing good is that it's not for your neighbors either. This is what blew my mind as I was studying this. I'm a servant of God. This means I'm free. That means I can live as a free person. That means I can do good wherever I go. But I'm not doing it for my neighbor. I'm doing it for God. It's a clear distinction here. I'm not doing this so my neighbor says, wow, he totally 10 goodness me against my number eight sin level. You're not doing this because 
there watching you're doing it in front of an audience of one, God. God, how can I serve you? What can I do in this room that makes you delight? How can I worship you? Who around me needs a love, like a hug? Maybe I should pray for someone. Maybe I can write them a note. Maybe I can pay for someone's meal. God, where is the good that I can do? Because I am for you. You're not doing this just as a means of defending your faith. You're doing it for God because you're free. You're his servant. And now anywhere I go, Anything I do, I can do great good there. And the amazing thing is, is you don't even know what the great good is that God will have you do. It might be that one day you walk in and he puts something on your lap that terrifies you. It might be in other days that he puts you in front of tens of thousands of people to be like a Billy Graham. Or it might just be sitting there and saying, how are you? No, really, how are you? You don't know how good the good is because the good is not for just the people around you. It's for God. And they just get to dance in the good works that you do. Do good. Do good. What are the good works that God has for you this week? Sit and think about Monday, just Monday. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to see? What rooms will you enter? What would it be like to enter those rooms and say, God, how can I do good here now? What good do you have for me to do? What if he lays in your heart? Well, you have been slacking off on your work. A servant of God doesn't need to slack on their work. A servant of God needs to make sure that their, their employer really is blessed. Okay, what if you're someone who's a provider of services, say a builder? Don't go halvesies on anything. Don't cut corners. Do awesome work. Do really good work. So that people look at your work and they say, there must be a God because that electrician came in the room. Because we think about holiness and day-to-day life as some grandiose mystery. No. God's sending you all throughout Southern Ocean County this week to do good in his name as his servants, as free people. So wherever it is that you're going this week, do great good there. Whatever it is, write a card, say an encouraging word, go for a walk and invite someone to go with you. It doesn't matter what the good is. Let the Lord lay it on your heart. Do good. Jesus said this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Do not, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your good works are light and darkness. The good that you do is a light burning in darkness. It's warmth for those who are cold, and it is a means by which they can come and know that there is a God. Do good. So maybe someone's sitting there saying, well, the question is, what is good? I mean, that's debatable, isn't it? No, it's actually not. What is good and what kind of good is actually not debatable because you're not doing this from your own conjuring You're doing it to enact the love of Christ around people. You're doing it in worship to God. We're not gonna sit around and pat about words. Oh, well, it's debatable what good I should be doing now. We should be thinking about this not from our own standard of what is good, but from the standard we've already seen. What did Jesus Christ do? Philippians chapter two tells us this. Have this mind in yourselves, which which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and, he, and being human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The standard of goodness is not something that you and I have to debate. If it looks like Jesus, there you have it. And it's nothing short of self-sacrifice and love. If it's anything less than looking like Jesus, then it's not the kind of good that we're talking about here. Do good. Let your light shine in such a way that the people see that the true light of the world has come. Every person in every room that you walk into this week, those people are the ministry of, that Christ has laid in front of you. What if the people you're trying to do good for are attacking you or trying to hurt you? What then? Well, do good even to your enemies. Do good even to those that you absolutely cannot stand. Do good for the people who you have reason to hate. Do good for them. This is what the Christian life looks like because Jesus was drugged in front of superior court under similar circumstances. You and I are oftentimes going to suffer for doing good because doing good in a world that's filled with bad is so radical and so different and so misunderstood that people are naturally going to point their guns at you and fire. God does not leave that as an exception for us to do for doing good. He doesn't say do good except when it's hard. He doesn't say do good, but for the people who are really convenient. He says do good. Some of you have very legitimate complaints against some people in your lives. Family, friends, associates, coworkers, old bosses, exes. What would it be like if in the name of Jesus Christ you said, I'm gonna give my offense to God and I'm gonna do good as the Lord gives me for that person. You don't have to sit around and conjure up the power for that. God has given that to you because he's with you. 2 Timothy chapter three says this, indeed all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. There it is. You desire to live godly and to do good, you will be persecuted. You will become an outsider. People will treat you like scum, but don't stop living as a free person. Why would we be surprised that People who are enslaved act like enslaved people, but you are free, so do good. You are a child of God. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Then you are a child of God. And every room you walk into, you walk into it as a free person. So what would it be like, what does it look like when a free person walks into a room of enslaved people? It looks like your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Every room you walk into is filled with people who are enslaved. And you walk in as a beacon of light in a world of darkness. Are you gonna go out to eat after church? I have worked at a restaurant. I know what those people are going through. Do good as you tip. Do good as you order. Do good as you look at the person who's pumping gas for you because it's cold outside. Do good. You find someone who needs some clothing, you've got plenty. Do good. Give some away. You find someone who needs a ride, do good. Maybe they need to borrow a car. 
Maybe you might need to entrust the Lord for the outcome of what happens to your car. But you've been called to do good. I have been called to do good. The church has been called to do good wherever we are. Because actual good in an actually bad world screams God. Screams that God is present and screams that you are one of his children. consider what your week typically is like. In general, there's probably a rhythm that you follow throughout your life. Now imagine what it'd be like to walk into each one of those places, those spaces where you're called to do whatever it is you're called to do, and ask God, God, what kind of good do you want me to do in worship to you here? That would be an amazing place to start in asking the question, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to serve God here? Is it, am, I, am I around my neighbors? Is it around my family, coworkers, friends? I don't know what your situation is, but I know this. You are called to do good here on this earth and so bring glory to God. Let it be said that people know that God is real because you walked in the room. What an amazing testimony to Christ that would be if everyone who was listening said, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to do eternal good there. Also, we'd like to invite you to come to our church on May 29th. That's a Sunday. After our church service, we're having our summer kickoff. It's a potluck. We're calling it the Fifth Sunday Fellowship. And one thing our church does really well is eat. We are, we are great at hanging out, and we are great at having a good time eating together. Are you looking for a church to call your own? Well, please come and join us on May 29th for our potluck. Our services begin at 10 a.m., and then right afterwards, we'll sit down and we'll have fellowship together. There'll be fun games and all sorts of things. And if you'd like to get to know what our congregation is like when we're just hanging out, that would be an amazing opportunity. Also... If you'd like to hear previous sermons or learn about the other ministries of our church, please go to our website at manahawkenbaptistchurch.org. Our church is deeply committed to being on the front lines of the needs of our community. And so we would encourage you, if you'd like to participate in the ministries that we are doing, please look at our website and reach out to us accordingly. And now... May the God of all peace encourage you as you this week seek to bring glory and honor to his name. Wherever you go and whatever you do, do good there and may God bless you. (laughs) 